Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Leah Zimmerman. Leah's a sought-after advisor for CEOs and business leaders who want to be honest with themselves, reflective, and own their integrity. She works with the difficult conversations and difficult emotions at home, in business, and in family-owned businesses that drain business owners of the focus, mind space, and energy they need to run a successful business. She helps her clients eliminate self-doubt and inner conflict, as well as navigate navigate external conflict with other people. Thanks so much for joining me today, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about difficult conversations, with which I think is a huge topic uh, for any business owner or, or business leader. Um, but but I want to start by asking you about some of the difficult conversations that CEOs have with themselves. Oh, yeah, those are the <laughs> hardest. <laughs> In fact, every difficult conversation you have with someone else starts with the difficult conversation you're having with yourself. I think uh, one of the ways it shows up with CEOs is the doubt. There's a there's a, a loneliness sometimes that comes with being the person who sees everything going on in the organization, has the bird's eye view, feels the full sense of the weight of the responsibility, and has the vision for the future, feels responsible for payroll as well as motivating and inspiring others. And no one else can quite see it the way you do, and no one else can quite see the moves you're making and the steps you're taking to keep it all going and to make it all happen. And inside that loneliness, sometimes it's easy to have other things happen. So there's just sometimes wanting the company of it, which makes it hard because then you want to start talking about it sometimes with the wrong people or people in in ways that aren't helpful, or you want to try and prove yourself or you want to try and show everybody what you're doing. So one is conversations kind of accepting that and making sure you find your cohort of people who you can really trust, which is why it's helpful sometimes to have someone who's an advisor, but it's also why people go to the round tables or have a growth coach or someone else who you can really just talk to about outside it. It takes that conversation outside yourself. But within that, it's also easy to have doubts because you don't have people coming up to you and seeing what you see and being able to acknowledge and validate it or see, yes, that's right, the direction you're taking. There's guarantees. You're dealing with a lot of uncertainty a lot. And if you're dealing with growth, you're often dealing with risk and you're dealing with an uncertain future. It's easy to see the past. It's really hard to see the future. Those are some of the conversations. Some of the other conversations that come up at decision-making is a big one, making the right decision, how to make the decision, uh, which way should I go, and trusting 
your own decision making. And I, I highly recommend um, along those lines, David Siegel's book, Decide and Conquer, which I think really nails it of what he's got, does a great job talking about what he experienced at Meetup um, when it was part of WeWork and then all of that changed and having to make some really difficult conversations and that even maybe put his job uh, in jeopardy. Hmm. There are a lot of principles for decision-making that one can get from there. And that's that's a big one that I uh, work on because decision-making starts to take you into a loop of different kind of conversations. You're trying to think of all the possibilities or you get caught on the only seeing the thing you want to see and not challenging seeing the other point of view of what it could be. You also can get caught listening to all the things that everyone recommends and all the things that you see other people do and then not trusting and not even knowing how to get in touch with your own wisdom and your own intuition and trust that gut instinct. Um, and I actually want to differentiate between instinct and intuition. The way I differentiate them is that sometimes there's things we do instinctually, which is more impulsively to protect ourselves that are based on habitual patterns. Intuition is tapping into a, a stiller, quieter, slower wisdom that's more inside the body. And when we can bring that into our decision-making, we start to be able to trust ourselves a lot more. That's one of the main, that's a, that's a big thing that can help a, a lot of these aspects of things. So decision-making um, is, is a big one. Difficult conversations with the self. Did I do the right thing? Um, should I give that person another chance? There's a lot has to do with relationships because all business, as much as it's the business and having good business acumen and it's having a good product or a service, it only happens through people. And people are uncertain. There's no real, logical, reasonable way to predict people and to make sure they're going to behave a certain way. And so lots of conversations can leave us with, could I have done that different? Would this have gone another way? How do I handle this? And the hardest part is when we think it's a reflection of some aspect of ourselves. The hardest part is to start to look at what are the real habitual thinking patterns, behaviors that we bring into our leadership that get in our way. And everyone has them. We all have them. And the things that free us the most are to be really honest with ourselves. Jerry Colonna, who's a coach I really admire, calls it radical self-inquiry. When we can really look and see what we're carrying with us and what are the things that are in our way. So, for example, I have a, a CEO client who is always down on herself around her productivity. She should be able to do this. She should be able to do that. Except from the outside, what I can see is that she's expecting herself to carry a very heavy mental load. And it wouldn't really be that hard to ask and find ways to have to unload some of what she's carrying to help other people carry it with her. But because she thinks she should be able to do it, and that comes from stories and things from the past that she needs to prove to herself, she's trying to carry more than is really possible to hold. Imagine trying to carry a four-ton truck or something, and when you actually are very well set up to only carry two tons. I mean, none of us as human beings are going to carry any ton. But that's often what CEOs are doing. They're carrying way heavier mental load than what is 
reasonably possible, but they think they should be able to do it. They should be able to do it. And if they ask for any support, if they delegate, if they share the load and the challenges of the load, they're showing weakness. They're showing that they don't know everything. Feeling they have to know everything is another one. I don't know the answer to that. Can I show them that I don't know the answer to that? Can I show that? uh, Is it okay if I sound like I have the solution to the problem? These are some of the weights that CEOs carry that make it much harder to do the job because these difficult conversations with oneself, when you're going around that traffic circle and you're not finding the exit and you're driving around in circles or you're standing at Grand Central Station with tons of things coming, people coming and going, information going in all directions, and you're not even sure which track you should get on because you're afraid if you go one way, you're going to lose track of what's happening in the other directions and you're never going to make the right decision. These are some of the uh, metaphors uh, that I think are examples of the way difficult conversations show up and the mental load they create for the CEO. I may have missed some, but does that give you um, some of the answer you were looking for? It does. It does. It's great. And when you were talking about um, uh, CEOs thinking they should have all the answers, I encounter that a lot. And when I'm working with leaders and what I say to them is, your job is not to have all of the answers. Your job is to convene the resources mm-hmm. to come up with the answers, right? Yeah. So, And that's a conversation around leadership that people are carrying that they don't realize they're carrying. Yeah. As the leader, I need to be able to show that I have the status, that I deserve this position, that I've earned this position. I need to maintain the respect of others. Sometimes it also makes me feel that I get to tell other people what to do because I'm the top and they're below me. These assumptions about leadership can get in the way because there are other ways of working as a leader that help manage the resources of your organization and your own internal resources in way more efficient ways. And one is not having to have the answer, is being the resource that knows how to get the answer. Right. Exactly. Okay, now let's talk about difficult conversations that CEOs end up having to have in in the workplace. Um, <laughs> here's a here's a big question. Uh, okay. uh, why are they difficult? Uh, that uh, is a great question. It can differentiate for different people, but when it starts to feel difficult is because as you face the uncertainty of having to deliver something you think, could be negative news um, to somebody, you're anticipating your emotional reaction mm. and or their emotional reaction. You don't want to have to feel their difficult emotions with them. You don't want to feel the pushback from their difficult emotions. You may be carrying some of your own difficult emotions like guilt around it, as well as the fear and the anticipation of what's coming. And so we all mostly just feel that as like a dark gray cloud instead of really being aware of what's happening inside that cloud that's making it feel like it's difficult. But I think we would describe a difficult conversation as being when you're going to have to talk to somebody anticipating some element of conflict or some element, usually these go together, of emotional, something that's going to be challenging emotionally for one other or both of you and having to have the empathy for that. Yeah. And that, so that's tricky. why I think that makes it a difficult conversation. And so 
what's involved in that is that we often can't see it. We only can imagine one way to have a conversation. Oh. And in anticipating the difficult conversation, we bring up what has kept us safe in the past. So our reactivity or our habits for difficult conversations come up. One that's I've been dealing with this week are a couple of uh, female leaders who, when they feel threatened or in a position of having difficult conversation, having to ask for something, which can be difficult also, like mm -hmm. vulnerability, where we have to show up with vulnerability is also a difficult conversation. So asking for help can be one of the most difficult conversations, saying, I'm sorry. So it's not always delivering bad news. Uh, start talking more and fast. And this one's familiar to me because I definitely used to have that too. And there's a protectiveness because once I hit that quiet, it's going to be hard. But if I keep talking and showing how much I know and how everything makes sense and why this is improving my intelligence, improving my worth along the way, I feel much safer. And for many people who I've encountered or the couple of clients I have in mind that I just worked with recently, this is true. This is what kept them safe in their growing up environments and certain just kinds of dysfunctional homes. We all come from some element of dysfunction was being able to be really smart, being able to be really clear, being able to be highly rational. But that's not always what's going to work when you go into a difficult conversation. Sometimes you just have to hold the space, bring the empathy, and let the other person go through what they have to go through until you can bring them back around. And uh, that's, I forgot the question now, but that's, I think, an example of what starts to happen, the reactive patterns that come with and the habitual patterns. So there are other people, for instance, who might show up and this can happen, but both genders. I just may be picking a particular client when I speak, but I have one who would show up more blustery because I'm going to show up and I'm going to put it out there that this is how it is and this is how it has to be. And then in a way that that's how I protect myself from being able to have the retaliation or to have to feel your vulnerability or have to feel the empathy for the difficult emotions that you're having. So these patterns that we have in our own past become habituated and because they're what we know and what we've had to deal with in difficult conversations in the past, as we look at a conversation that's coming, we run through patterns in our mind based on these habitual patterns. Well, the person's going to say this, and I'm going to have to do that. And, and even if we're not conscious of it, as we anticipate what someone else is going to say, those elements are starting to grow in the body. Some of the big, most important tips is when you're going to a difficult conversation, you're Threat response, your nervous system, what has kept you safe is predicting where a threat's going to come from and knowing how you're going to protect yourself. What it wants to do is call upon the protection of the past to deflect, defend, dismiss what's going to happen or what somebody else is going to say or overpower or come out really strong. The thing to do is to be able to really imagine the intention of connecting with the other person. And to imagine that the conversation can go well in a way that you might not know yet. Because when we come into the conversation willing to connect and we build connection first, the conversation has a lot more possibilities to it. And as those doors and possibilities open, we're able to find ways that help keep ourselves a little bit calmer, which helps the other person stay calmer. 
we can start to find ways to learn how to hold the space and have empathy with whatever difficult thing the other person has to experience without personalizing it for ourselves. Um, we can be more centered inside whatever blowback or defensiveness we need to weather when we're inside a difficult conversation. And those things come from how we rewire the way we anticipate the conversation. And it means embracing a certain kind of uncertainty. Although to just go out and do that is kind of hard. So that's not my number one tip. I have some more practical tips that help people get there. But that's the overall shift that starts to happen. When you know you can handle whatever comes up in a moment because you've learned how to be present, how to hold space, because you've learned how to be acknowledging and validating what other people are experiencing without having to give any of what you have to say in your voice away. When you realize that you can stand there like a mountain and no one can push you or knock you down with their emotions or what they have to say, you become much more confident in being able to handle those moments and those difficult conversations. And that starts to create a different kind of quiet confidence. And that becomes not only does it reroute things away from a negative experience around difficult conversations, it now provides an additional level of confidence and calm to the organization when the leader knows that they can handle it and conflict is dealt with effectively and difficult conversations are opportunities for connection, opportunities to resolve things and go even deeper, it brings a whole new energy into the organization. One of the things that um, I'm wondering about with that, it, it makes total sense to me, but one mm-hmm. of the things that that pops into my mind is uh, being comfortable with silence. It feels to me like <laughs> when someone gets to that place with that quiet confidence, then they're okay with silence. They don't feel like they have to fill that void. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. And I'm from New York. So I grew up in Jewish New York homes where we overlap conversation. And I often tell the story when I, we moved to Texas, my husband was in graduate school. It's the first time I learned I had to end my own sentences. People were not going to start talking until I absolutely finished. And there was a period <laughs> and there was a space, but that was so hard for me to leave that space when I don't feel certain because I'm used to the way someone shows they have an interest that, that what I'm saying resonates is they start coming in and telling their story. And it's a collaborative kind of speaking. Deborah Tannen writes about it. Um, she's so, so linguist who I think has done a really nice job talking about this kind of East coast Jewish. You don't have to be Jewish to have it and you don't have to um, um, not all Jews have it. So, but it, it's kind of a pattern that she, identifies and to then stand finish and just be quiet. Poof, Boy, you know, was- you just taught me something about, uh, <laughs> so I'm Midwest Jewish and uh, uh-huh. I know a family where that's exactly how they engage. And mm-hmm. I don't engage that way. Uh, but, but that makes a lot of sense to me when you say that. Mm-hmm. And it helps me understand why when they're all together, it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. And it, so, so even if you don't have that, where it will show up is if you, um, you are used to, so for the more someone didn't come in, interrupt me, the more 
uncertain I felt about how what I was saying was being received. Oh. The more anxiety or uncertainty comes up, the more, the faster I would talk, the more I would talk. That still is possible. I can get into a habit of over-explaining, which no one else seems to really mind, but my family will point it out. <laughs> so that, you know, and that's one of my things that I bring. And that's something I can, I can tend to do. Um, but we have things that are like that or how we handle those moments of uncertainty in a conversation where we're not sure that what we're saying is being received well, that we're not sure we feel safe and within yeah. that relationship with the person, which is why the intention to connect will help with all of that. Because when you come in with an intention to connect, and what I often say is that you're turning the spotlight onto the other person. One of the things about difficult conversations is we go into them with all the self-consciousness on ourselves, all of it about, am I doing it? Okay. What am I going to say? What do I do if they do this? And all of this kind of concern when we can come in and we can just put our complete attention on the other person and we can say what we have to say, we need to talk about these performance numbers because these KPIs are a bit low. We're going to have to readjust some things and you let that sit and you let them deal with the emotion and you then you let listen and you validate. Yes, I hear what you're saying. This is what you worked on. And this was the challenge that you faced. Am I getting this right? And when you put it on that, you're giving them the space and the spotlight and you're holding space. There's an arc that will start to happen where their anxiety goes up and they're talking through it, but they'll start to calm down. If you stay calm, you'll eventually get to the other side. And that's where you can now start to move through and say, okay, so I think we both agree that there were some challenges here and some things that went well. Let's see if we can now look at what we do next and acknowledge the strengths or the things and the challenges that the other person said. You're looking for what you can validate, you're looking for what you can share appreciation for, you're looking for what you can find agreement upon, and then plan the next steps, your goal in a difficult conversation. The other thing that people most do is know what they want on the other side of the difficult conversation. Because when you can put the shared goal out on the horizon, it's much easier to move the relationship into a collaborative mode, so that you can move towards that goal together. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'll, I can tell a story uh, where right. that I think that's coming to mind as I as I do this. It's not a business story, but I was the director of a religious school program inside a synagogue, and my daughter was in seventh grade uh, with a lot of her friends, and she comes to me because she's agitated because there's a conflict between one of the students and her teacher, and the teacher's my staff. I'm responsible for my staff, and this is you know all these mixed relationships. So I go in to talk to the teacher and she immediately is on the defensive because she's anticipating that I'm going to take my daughter's side or I'm going to take the side of my daughter and her friends. So I now have a lot of um, negative energy coming at me and it can feel like an attack. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of stay calm and I listen and she, we move into my office and she goes on and on and I just validate the things she's saying. I don't argue. I don't get defensive. I don't dismiss because her things she's saying are mostly a stress response. So I'm going to sit there and I'm going to allow her to go through that. And then I'm going to say, well, it sounds like this and it sounds like that. And here's what, so how do, or do, would you, what would, do you need to feel resolved in this conflict? I don't actually remember all the things I said, but we moved the step forward and we created a conversation with the child where she had a parent and I was there with the teacher. 
And this is also one of my very good friends with her daughter. So hmm. it, but both of us yeah. are able to kind of be there and support the conversation happening where they could hear each other, listen to each other, validate each other and walk away with some new understanding from each other. But the thing that reason the story came to mind was because they really had to sit through whatever her reaction was and just know that she's having her reaction, but I know we're going to be okay because I know that I'm not really um, who she thinks she's reacting to. Right. I know that I'm really here to be here for her as she goes through this difficult conflict to help find a way to move the conversation forward. And that ended up because we went through it that way, engendering a lot more trust overall in the relationship. Yeah, I, I, I think that is a great example. And I think, you know, one of the takeaways from that is uh, don't take it personally and give them the space to mm-hmm. have the reaction they're going to have and get it out of their system because then they can hear. Yes. Mm-hmm. So on my website, there is a resources section because I wrote a book. I made this a little like not a book, um, you know, a, a PDF guide. Mm-hmm. For how to be, how to get along with people and be influential. And the one pr- first principle I mentioned already was turn the spotlight around. So I gave her all the attention. I gave her the pre- I let her be the spotlight. I didn't make it about me. How am I doing? And the second is it's not about you, which yeah. is don't take it personally. It's not about you, which goes along with putting the spotlight on the other person. Yeah. Spotlight on the person and it's not about you. And those are some of the biggest mistakes people make in their difficult conversations. Is they're still in their own head of how am I doing? Am I saying the right thing? How do I get them to listen to me? How do I make sure? And what's often happening inside the conversation is you're waiting for the other person to go, oh, I get it. Yes, I can do it your way. Yeah. Like imagine talking to your teenager, <laughs> you need to clean up your room. That, that's not how I asked, but let's imagine it. Something like that, or you need to put your things away, you need to do that, and you're really listening for them to say, Oh, you're right, mom, I need to go do that. But what they're going to say is, No, I don't, or they're going to defend because they're defending against your relational positioning, they're defending against the fact that you're acting as the boss or the fixer or the one who knows more or the authority who's demanding something of them, and they're reacting against that. So, people are reacting against, um the things you make them, the way you make them feel inside the relationship. But we're waiting for that moment where they go, oh, you're right. I think we should do it that way. And most people are not going to do that on a dime. It, the, the, the thinking through and the seeing your perspective or the willing to come to another place is yeah. going to come. One, you're willing to do that. And then in the space in between, when they've seen your willingness to meet them where they are, and you've provided some space for them to process and think about it and to come with some self-respect and autonomy back to the conversation. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a big, big deal. Yeah. We right. miss a lot in those conversations is we're waiting for the other person to go, yeah, you're right. And that's because the attention is on us. When we can give that to the other person inside the conversation, yeah. they de-escalate really fast. Yeah. And then you're not responding to what you think is going on you're responding to actually what they're telling you Uh uh-huh they're they're dealing with yeah and while they're going through stress or anxiety response if there is that kind of pushback response really the thing you need to do is just hold space listen and validate because right now they're just in a stress mode yeah don't even know that don't assume what they're saying is the is the truth of it all there are times where i'm now 
let's say it's not super recent, but I argue with my husband and there are times where if I'm in a certain mode or emotional state, I'm saying things. And because we continue to talk, I'm saying more things. I'll just say, and I don't even know if everything I'm saying right now is exactly what I think, but right now, <laughs> that's what I'm because you're in stress mode. So all these other things pop up. But then when you decompress, you might realize I don't actually think all those things, but you might not realize it because you now feel like you need to defend the position you took. Right. And that need to defend the position gets in the way of being willing to see what your role that you brought to the conversation is. But when we sit through and we let the other person go through it without bringing fire with fire, without resistance, they're bringing all this resistance to what we have to say, their stress response. When we sit through it and don't, participate in that and we just let them go through it but we hold space for it and and give them the spotlight and give them that validation and show that they feel heard and maybe ask a question um will eventually that eventually go through this uh, you can't see my hands it, it escalates i think imagine like a bell curve and then it kind of comes back down on the other right. side so they they come through they're tired they feel safer because they realize they're not going to retaliate you're not going to get angry at them you're not going to fight them back and people who want to fight it's just going to take longer because now they're upset that you're not fighting them back and they look like the ones who are fighting and so you have to wait a little bit longer and i've gone through some of those too yeah. someone's just really taking like you know, expecting to have been able to bait me and not, and then just going uh, farther and farther until they slowly come down. But it's when they come back down on the other side and they get that you're going to hold this as a safe space, that you're not going to let yourself feel rattled by what they're doing. You're not going to get defensive. You're not going to dismiss and deflect them. You're not going to push back. You're not going to counterattack that you were really there to listen to them, that you really see and understand them. And now you want practical steps for moving forward. That's when you can really move the relationship forward. And and is it fair to say that um, it's not that you're agreeing with them? It's that you're validating that that's where they are? Absolutely. You are showing up without judgment for their yeah. human experience. And that's, that's hard. We have to sometimes suspend our own judgment, but I'd say that's where there's different ways of being discerning between the difference between validating their emotions and their experience and agreeing with their interpretation or their solution or their behaviors or their choices. We don't have to agree in order to validate. Right. That's how we also handle political conflict, by the way, which Wow. I have experience of sitting on the intersection of very opposing political perspectives fairly often. And we tend to, if you can see that on social media, we can see that in our world, hold a position and defend ourselves in yeah. our position. But the more we can validate why and understand why somebody holds another per perception, oh, if I had their background and experience and their worldview, that might be how I would think too. We don't want to always accept that, which is what we're actually fighting against, why it's a difficult conversation with ourselves, because we don't want to think, we think that's immoral, so we don't want to think that would be us. But hmm. we think it's immoral because of our background, our uh our experiences, our stories, the way we, we've been exposed to in the world. If we did not have that and we had what they had had, we might still see things in a little bit of a different way. But that does not mean we have to agree. 
That does not mean any way that I agree that I'm going to change the way I vote, that I'm going to change what I support, where I give money, how I talk about things, where I travel, all the different ways that it affects things, uh, where I go to church, any of that doesn't mean who I do business with. It doesn't mean it's going to change those things. It just means I can validate and I can hear that this is the experience where you're coming from. The more we show up with openness and curiosity to other yeah. people's experiences and worldviews, the more uh, they find us receptive and safe. Yeah. And the more we learn and the harder it is sometimes, at least in my experience, I'm generally insanely curious and you can't really be judging and holding curiosity at the same time. It's so true. I know. I, I'm so, I'm so about that. Yeah. Curiosity. <laughs> Seriously. It, it's the thing, right? Yeah. That yeah. keeps you from prejudging, uh, you know, but I, I'm glad I asked the question because I think one of the things that CEOs and, and leaders struggle with is um, being afraid to go through the validation process because they're afraid that it's that it's going to be interpreted as agreeing. And so I love that question and that you brought it up because I think it's also comes from not having a language. The thing we know people want us to say is you're right. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. We, we, when, so there's trip three trip, three A's, triple A, just like we have triple A roadside service. I say we have triple A relationship service. And these are the relationship moves, the triple A's that I, um, hope people can remember that make a difference because you never have to actually say they were right or that you agree and you don't have to praise. You don't have to offer anything that's kind of that general feedback. The first A is easy. All you have to do is acknowledge, Yeah. hear what you say and parrot back what you said. You just told me that uh, I think that the reason you were, weren't able to finish this assignment that I asked you to do was because these things happened and got in the way. And these are the challenges you've been facing. Did I get that right? And the other person will relax just hearing you say back exactly what they said. Now, it does not feel like much because all you're doing is saying what you heard. Right. When somebody hears that you actually heard them, something shifts in their nervous system Yeah. that allows more. And it doesn't always have to be a restating, although restating is very powerful. And just play the parrot can be fine. I mean, not repeat one word, one word, but go ahead and repeat what you heard. But it's basically, I see you, I hear you, I understand, and and and, and I see it. it for yeah. me as a classroom teacher, what changed in my classroom management when all I had is look at students and say, I see you're doing this, and I see you're doing this. And, and just when they realized I was paying attention and seeing them, their behavior shifted. Yeah. I didn't have to call that other behavior stuff. The second A is affirming. And that's where you're really sharing some empathy. That sounds hard. That doesn't mean you have to agree. Well, it should have been hard. You said you could do it and you said you could do it in this amount of time, which is maybe what you're thinking. But in the moment, you can just say, oh, that sounds hard. It sounds like it might have been more than you realized it was going to be. All you have to do is affirm their human experience. And the more you can say those words, that sounds hard, or um, there are some other things, the phrases that are like that, that are very powerful. But that sounds hard is it sounds like that was very hard or I'm, you know, that sounds really challenging. That was a lot to deal with. These are things that can be very powerful and they do not mean that you think you're, you are saying you think they right. shouldn't, 
better. You're going to get to that. You're going to get to how, how can we talk about how to do this better next time? Right. But you're going to get there. The third A is appreciation. The more you can share appreciation. This one, I'd say you can do pro- all of these you do proactively as well as in the moment. And if you're facing a difficult conversation, that's the thing to say. I see that this, I noticed the event that happened. This is what I see. This is what I hear. I understand the now awesome affirming how this could be hard or where you could be coming from or whatever. So, and I appreciate, you know, the opportunity that we get to work on it. Like this can also work as your, as a framework for opening your conversation, but it also is a framework for building social capital because the more you do these things where you're acknowledging, affirming and appreciating when there's nothing at stake, the more social capital you have in the bank that when something is at stake and you do need to make a request, you do need to um, have a difficult conversation. There's more trust. There's more, this person gets me. I'm going to hear what they have to say. It may be uncomfortable, but I'm sure we'll get through it. Right. And those are the three things that I'd say are very practical things to go out and start practicing. They're not as easy as they sound because we tend to have an easier time focusing on the things that are wrong and being critical. And when things are at stake, we tend to be able to judge other people for not doing what we would do. Because it seems so easy. This is something I noticed with managers and CEOs. It's it's not that hard. Just go do the thing I asked you to do. But that's because we have an easy time seeing what it would be. We don't see from their point of view what's missing as the person who needs to learn it or who needs to gain experience with it or doesn't have the whole umbrella right. of things that we share. So it's easy to judge. It's easy to put criticism. Yeah. It tends to be where we're coming from. So those three A's, I think will help with that and I hope give an example of where you can give that kind of validation in different ways yeah that are not saying well I agree but once right. here's those things now you can say I get that and that here's what we need to talk about because here's where we're seeing things differently exactly yeah it is great Leah I really appreciate this conversation and this information will you tell the listeners how they can find you please uh, my business is called Stepping Stool Coaching because I my view of coaching is that it is the stepping stool that you step on to reach the next level, the way a child has a stepping stool to reach the sink on their own. The stepping stool in the way I coach is designed so that you're using the stepping stool to reach new things. So steppingstoolcoaching.com is my website. There's a button there where you can just meet me, no agenda. You don't have to know what you want to talk about, and I don't have to have anything to sell. So it's free just to have a conversation because I like to meet people. You also um, can go and see uh, on the website some of the different things I offer to help people improve their conversations. Excellent. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called 
can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.